Man, those are some powerful truths. Thank you, Pedro and the band. Um, I want to take a few minutes with you guys and just press in to these two verses that I shared with you earlier. Uh, Many of you guys have been following along on our Bible reading plan as a church. And and a few weeks ago, when we read through Galatians, these two verses just just jumped out to me and struck me in a way that it just hadn't hit me before. And so I just want to go back. We're going to continue just to linger, to press in, and to hear what God says in these two verses, Galatians 2, verses 20 and 21. I want to read them again. Paul confesses, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. I probably memorized Galatians 2.20 back in my college years. Maybe some of you. Maybe this may be like a life verse for you. But, but and I love, I love verse 20. We're gonna, we're gonna dig into verse 20. But it was verse 21 that I could not shake. And here's the truth that I couldn't shake. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. This is it. It's possible to approach God and Good Friday in such a way that completely nullifies the grace of God in the death of Christ. You hear that? You can approach God in a certain way that basically says, Jesus, your death, meaningless. It has no purpose. That's what it says here, that Christ died for no purpose. So the question I want to ask you, and that I plead that every single person is able to answer tonight, are you approaching God in a way that nullifies what everything that we just sang about? Or are you approaching God in a way that embraces, cherishes, and boasts and make much of? the cross of Christ. So let's ask these questions. What does this approach look like? What does it look like to approach God in a way that nullifies the the grace of God and, and, and makes the death of Christ purposeless? It's what's found in the sandwich in between these two phrases. What does he say in the middle here in verse 21? I do not nullify the grace of God for... For if righteousness were through the law, if we approach God in such a way that righteousness is through the law, then we nullify the grace of God and we make the death of Christ purposeless. So what does that mean? What does it mean to approach God in such a way 
That is, as if righteousness were through the law. I, I wish I could unpack more of this for you, but, but earlier in, in, in 2.16, um, Paul says this. He says, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law. He, he adds a phrase there. So in our tw- verse 21 there, it says, if righteousness were through the law, through works of the law. That's what he's getting at. If righteousness were through works of the law. Going back to verse 16, he says, we know that a person is not justified by works of the law. This word righteousness or this word justified, it's how we are made right before God. It's you standing before God and you earning and receiving his acceptance, his acceptance and his approval. He says, if you, will, if you approach God to, to receive his acceptance in such a way that's based on works of the law, then you completely nullify the grace of God. Let, let me just keep pressing in here. We nullify the grace of God when we strive to be accepted by God on the basis of works that we've done and our obedience to his commands. When we approach God this way, the focus isn't on what God has done, it's on what we do. It's on our own striving to earn God's favor. In reality, it's a boasting in myself. God, look at me, I'm I'm not that bad. I know this is a common phrase, if we were to go walk along the streets of Medford or Greater Boston, and you were to ask somebody, hey, hey, if for some reason you were to die and stand before God right now, and he were to ask you this question, hey, why should I let you into my heaven? I would say numerous responses would be, well, I mean, I'm, a, I'm a pretty good person. I, I'm not that bad. And, and, and we don't press into that, but in reality, what we're saying is, is we're comparing our life to, to our perceived perspective of everybody else that we're, we're kind of ahead of. I'm, I'm not as bad as that person. And all of us can probably find somebody that we can compare with to say, I'm not that bad. The problem with this approach is that we use the wrong measuring stick. Paul, Paul continues in Galatians 3 verse 10. I think we've got on the screen here and he says this. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Here's what Paul's saying. He's like, okay, you want to take that approach. Hey, God, I'm not that bad. He says, if, if you want to build your acceptance before God on the basis of your works, he says, you've got to keep all of it. It's not just like tip the scales and be good enough over your badness. He says, you've got to keep it all. And if you don't keep the entire law and do it, you're cursed. This approach to God does not give you life. It will wear the mess out of you, like continually wondering, God, do I measure up? Do you wrestle, do you lay in bed at night and just wrestle with, it, wrestle with this question? If I were to face my maker, my creator, like, I mean, 
have I done enough? Do I measure up? It's exhausting. It will crush you. The approach that I just described for you is completely contrary to the gospel and the good news of Jesus. If that is your approach, based on works of the law, you don't need Good Friday. You don't. You don't need Good Friday. You don't need the death of Christ. You don't need the grace of God. You nullify God's grace. And there was no need for Jesus to die. But mine and your sin is so bad that it can only be remedied by the substitutionary death of Christ. Here's the problem with approaching God based on works of the law. Even if I were to decide today I am going to strive to the best of my ability to completely abide by everything written in the law. That, that does not take care of all the rebellious sin in my life. My good works can't cover my rebellion. God is a perfect God. God must punish all sin if he's going to be a just God. And so look back at our verse here. He says, when you approach God this way, you nullify the grace of God. How, how would you explain the grace of God to someone? Definition that just I always think about when I think of the grace of God, it is the unearned, unmerited favor of God. Which there's nothing you, to, you can do to earn God's, God's grace. It's, it's what Ephesians 2, 8 says. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. You see, when salvation is based on works of the law, I'm boasting in John Chastain. God, look at me. I've done this. But, but that is contrary to the good news of Jesus and the salvation that God brings. He says, this salvation is by grace. It is a gift, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. None of us will stand before God and be able to boast about how great we are. Grace, by definition, is a gift. You can't earn it. If you can earn it, then it's not grace. Grace has to be received. And this is the bad news of the gospel. There is nothing that you can do. Kids, listen to me. I know we got some kids in here. There is nothing that you can do to earn God's favor. There is nothing that you can do to earn God's acceptance. There's nothing you can do to gain eternal life. Absolutely nothing. Say that with me. Nothing. Say it aloud with me. Nothing. Nothing. There is nothing that we can do. So now, like, here's the heart of the question. How then do we approach God in such a way that does not nullify the grace of God in the death of Christ? The answer is in verse 20. And this is where Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. The only way 
to not nullify the grace of God and the death of Christ is you and I must die. As John Piper says, Jesus' death becomes the death of our self-exalting life. John Chastine must die. The, the invitation to the gospel isn't, hey, John, keep trying to show God how good you are. No, the invitation of the gospel is, John, stop hiding your sin. God already knows it. He knows your thoughts. He knows the, the, the intentions of your heart. And he sees every action that you've done and you've rebelled against him. John Chastine is a sinful, rebellious person. It's an invitation to say, you know, you're right. That John Chastine will never earn God's favor. And if he's gonna earn God's favor, he's gotta die so that somebody else can come and take my place. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. That's what Paul says. Paul says, I've died, I'm dead. I wanna ask you a question. Do you still live tonight or have you died? If you are still striving to say, God, man, I've done enough good. You haven't died. You've got to come to the point where you say, God, I'll never, John Chastine will never do enough. I can't adopt enough kids. I can't love my neighbor enough to earn God's favor. I'll never do enough. And so I've, I die so that Christ may live in me. I stop boasting in myself and I boast in the cross. I must die and I must boast in the cross. What does Paul say here? He says, the life I now live in the flesh. So get this, in one sense he says, I've been crucified, I'm dead. But in another sense, he's like, I'm alive. The old Paul, the old Ch John Chastine, it died. The new John Chastine is one who was boasting, who was living a new kind of way, and it's this. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Circle that in your Bible, the word me. Look, I love this. This is not an impersonal or mechanical transaction, but a very deep and personal display of God's love for you. You write your name in Galatians 2.20. He died for John Chastine. He died and gave himself for John. You write your name there. It is personal. He's going to later say in verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who's hanged on a tree. This is why Good Friday is so good. This is why you don't wanna nullify the grace of God and the death of Christ because he has done everything that you need to be accepted before God. Listen to this. The cross displays the extravagant love of God. And this is what makes Good Friday so good. This is what Jesus did for you. Jesus perfectly obeyed God's commands as you rejected God's commands. Jesus was shamed for your shameful sin. Jesus was condemned that you might be pardoned. 
Jesus received judgment he did not deserve that you might receive grace that you do not deserve. Jesus bore every single one of your sins. He drank the cup of God's wrath, every last drop of it that you might receive forgiveness. Jesus was rejected so that you might be adopted. Jesus was abandoned that you might be accepted. Jesus was forsaken that you might be called a child of God. Jesus poured out his soul to death that you might receive eternal life. Can I get an amen? This is the gospel. This is the good news of Good Friday. Jesus wore the crown of thorns that you might wear the crown of life. Jesus was made to be sin that you might be declared and made right with God. Jesus shed his own tears that he might wipe away every single one of your tears. He was pierced that you might be healed. He experienced pain to remove your pain. He carried your sorrows that you would no longer mourn. He was cursed to reverse the curse. He was cursed that you might receive blessing. He died on a tree that you might eat forever from the tree of life. This is what makes Good Friday so good and why Paul can close Galatians and say this in chapter six, verse 14. He says, but far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. If you're gonna boast in something, boast in the cross. Here's the invitation tonight. It is an invitation to die. You sign your name tonight and say, I'm dying so that Christ may live. And my boast is no longer John Chastine or you fill your name in. My boast is Jesus. If I face my maker tonight and he says, why should I let you in? I'm going to say, God, there is no reason you should let me in. And I could give you a million reasons of the evil intentions of my heart and the actions I've done, but you should let me in because you loved me and you gave Jesus and he died for me. That's the only reason. And that's the reason that I want to plead with you tonight to come to Jesus. You can probably tell I get a little excited talking about this. If you are here tonight, maybe this is the first time you're hearing about Jesus. The invitation that I just want to invite you to is, is to die. It's to lay down your life. It is the, it, you know, as, as our band plays here in a little bit, it's just to cry out to God and say, God, I, I release, I'm done. I can't earn it. I'm dying. I'm a sinner. Forgive me. My boast now is Jesus. It's an invitation. I invite you to make your boast Jesus. It is to call upon him. Can you say, as Paul did, that Jesus loved me and he gave himself for me? If, if so, I, I want to invite you tonight to respond and place your faith in Jesus. If you never personally responded to God, you can do that tonight. I'm going to just lead you in a sample prayer that would express what it might look like for you to die and for you to make your boast in Jesus. You could pray something like this. God, my life is broken 
and I recognize it's because of my sin. I need you. I believe that Jesus lived a perfect life. He died the death that I deserve. He raised from the dead to rescue me from my sin. God, will you forgive me? I relinquish control tonight. I die. I want Christ to be alive in me. I'm turning from my selfish ways to put my faith and trust in Jesus. I confess Jesus is now my boast. He is my Lord. He is my King, and I'm following him for the rest of my life. Amen. If tonight you're responding to Jesus for the first time, we want to know. You can go on your app and, and you can go to the connect or you can go to rhc.church forward slash cc and it'll take you to connect card and you say, man, I'm trusting in Jesus. Or it's like, hey, this interests me and I wanna grab a coffee and I wanna talk to you more about that. We wanna know this. But if you're a believer here tonight, th- what I've just shared with you isn't like, this is your life. The gospel is not like something you get and you move on. Do you hear Paul? He's writing to the Galatians and he's saying, The life I now live. He's not talking about what I once lived. He's like, right now, this is the life. It is a life of boasting in Jesus. And so God, just pray tonight that you see the personal love of God for you and that it just propels you to just continue to love Jesus, to boast in him and to follow him. Let me pray. Father, God, you've been so good to us in Christ. God, as I read this passage a few weeks ago, my fear was that someone might hear the gospel and and approach you in a way that completely nullifies your grace and the death of Christ. So God, God, if that's us tonight, God, we just afresh die and we confess we've been crucified with Jesus. Our boast isn't in ourselves. Our boast is in Jesus. He is good. He is perfect. His death has made a way for us. And God, we want that to be our boast as we leave tonight. It's our boast tomorrow. This is the life we now live in the flesh. We're dead to our old way of life. We are alive in Christ. God, would the power of Christ continue to work your way and your will in us, we pray in Christ's name, amen.